ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to Hard in the Paint. I am David Grubb. Thank you so much for all the listens and the subscriptions. I really appreciate that. For those of you who haven't, please subscribe to the pod. Set it on auto-download so you don't miss an episode. And then rate the show. Let me know what you think. Before we get to today's guest, I'd be remiss, of course, if I didn't discuss the Pelicans exhibition opener. Um, They played really well in uh, beating the... Walking Dead, otherwise known as the Brooklyn Nets, uh, 99 to 68. And, you know, the main thing was you wanted to see the Pelicans come out of there with no injuries. And that's what they did. Uh, Nobody got hurt. Nobody looked particularly bad. You got what you wanted to see, I think, out of that type of game, even though you weren't playing against a particularly motivated or particularly talented team in Brooklyn. With Spencer Dinwiddie out, with um, you know Kevin Durant already gone, with Kyrie Irving gone, there's just so many players. DeAndre Jordan not there. It's the the most most of the rotation was not there. So it wasn't that they were playing against an elite team. And again, the Nets, yeah, are going to be in the playoffs, but they're not doing anything with this group. So you take that into consideration. But what did you want to see from the Pelicans last night? Did they try to defend? Yes, they did. They did a very good job on the defensive end. Uh, I thought the guards did a great job of limiting penetration. I thought interior uh, defense was pretty solid. They didn't give up a ton of baskets at the rim. Again, there wasn't a great uh, a lot of amount of talent on the Nets front line, but you're only able to play against who you're playing against. Um, the concerns are not with the starters and with the the main contributors. Your top guys, you know, obviously Zion Williamson didn't play, but he should be returning shortly, uh, you'd imagine. But your top guys, you take Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, uh, J.J. Redick, Etwan Moore, Brandon Ingram, um, and 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 that's your core. Derek Favor set out with no uh, with not an injury, just for some rest. He will play. Uh, on Saturday. So, you know, with those main guys, Josh Hart, uh, of course, in that group as well, you wanted to see, did they come out with the right level of energy? Did they come out uh, playing cohesive basketball to some degree? And did they show off the same type of skill set that we saw when the season was interrupted? There were some missed shots, some bunnies that didn't go down. But the Pelicans shot the three ball well. So that hasn't left them. They were 10 of 20 in the first half from three. Um, when the starters got the majority of their minutes. most you know, um, Brandon Ingram gives you 12 points in 10 minutes. Knocks down uh, three three-pointers. He, he looked very good. He, uh, he had bounce in his step. He was able to elevate on his jumper. Uh, his release was smooth. So, you know, he had a couple of fatigue issues before with his leg. Those seemed to, the rest certainly seemed to have helped those. He looked good. Lonzo Ball had his moments. Attacked the basket on his very first drive. That was good to see. Keeping up that aggressiveness that Alvin Gentry has asked from him. Drew Holiday, he did with Drew stuff. J.J. Redick didn't shoot the ball great. He made one three, but he rebounded and he passed it. And that's what you want to see. If you're going to contribute... At least J.J. looked like, again, he looked healthy. He wasn't 100% healthy when the season was interrupted. He looked healthier, uh, much better uh, in his movements on the floor. Etwan Moore comes on the court. He gives you 14 points in, in 13 minutes. That's what you needed to see, is that the guy who you're going to ask to be instant offense, to be primarily a shooter and a, uh, a guy who's going to maybe not play every game 
based on just what's going on. But you see Etwan Morin come in and be that veteran presence, making shots, demonstrating how to be prepared. Even Jaleel Okafor had a very solid night. Ten points. Um, his touch around the rim, his he, even his fitness and um, his finishing, all look good. His footwork, pristine. That's never been a problem for Jaleel. It's going to be what he does defensively. And I don't think that was a great test for him. But everybody else looks the same. Nikhil Alexander-Walker still goes too fast. He still tries too hard. He takes too many shots. Took 15 shots. Missed nine of them. Turned the ball over. Missed a lot of threes. Nikhil just still doesn't seem to get it. Jackson Hayes, people gave him a lot of credit last night. Um, He did block some shots. Yes, but Jackson still doesn't look like he knows what he's doing in space. It still looks like he doesn't want to execute basic box-out principles when he's rebounding. And quite frankly, a couple days ago, I'm on the conference call with the Pelicans, and I asked Jax directly about, did you struggle this season on defense? And he said, no. The numbers don't say that. Your stats don't show that, that you were a solid defender. The eye test didn't show that you were a solid defender. And you're saying you've had no struggles defensively? That troubles me. The thing about Jackson A's that bothers me is that I don't think he has a great sense of awareness on the court and awareness about himself yet. He's 19. There's a chance for that to improve. You give him that. But right now, I'm concerned about him. Frank Jackson... Doesn't bring anything new to the table. You know what Frank is. He had a couple of nice moments. He got a dunk. Fantastic. But Frank, again, is not a difference maker. And here you are. Yes, he's, this is his second season on the court, but this is three years of the Frank Jackson investment, and he's still doing basically the same stuff. There's nothing added. There's, no, there's nothing unique about his game. There's nothing irreplaceable about his game. And at this point, you know what Frank Jackson is. If he does something great, fantastic. If he doesn't, what did you really expect from him? Do you expect Frank to come out and give you 20 every night? Do you expect him to give you 15? Do you expect Frank Jackson to give you 10? I don't think you do. I don't think you do. So then we move on to Kenrich Williams. And again, a guy who gets a lot of praise. And no one works harder than Kenrich Williams, and that's fantastic. No one has a better attitude than Kenrich Williams, and that's fantastic. But in all the minutes he played last night, Kendrick Williams failed to score a bucket. He got some rebounds. He got six boards. Okay. They don't need him to get six boards. I can get those six boards from Josh Hart in those minutes. Josh Hart's not going to give me a donut on the scoring column. Kenrich Williams, the overwhelming majority of his games, he scores three points or less. Three points or less. And people want to keep him on the floor because there was a moment where his advanced numbers were really good when the team was 6-22. and 22. He's not going to be part of the main rotation when the restart happens. And they can say how much they love him, which they do. And they can say how much they like him, which they do. And they can say much how, much he, how much they respect Kenny's hustle. But you tell me, when you list the top 10 players on this roster who need minutes, a fully healthy Pelicans roster, where does Kenrich Williams fall on that list? So you know what you have out of your starters, and you know what you have out of your bench. I'm not going to take away anything really great away from the exhibition other than it was important to see that they, they were ready, that their energy level was high, and they still looked like a basketball team. And I don't say that lightly. They looked like guys who had played together before and who that the layoff did not mess up their communication. It did not mess up their understanding of the other player. I still say the Pelicans have a puncher's chance. You know, they are still at a disadvantage. 
Their schedule is not a problem necessarily. But you still, if you get to the 8-9, unless you're number 8, unless they surpass Memphis in in the standings, they got to beat Memphis two more times after they get through these eight games. So they are at a disadvantage. And you do have a Portland team that's very strong. But I give the Pelicans as good a chance as anybody, still better than a 50-50 shot for them to make the playoffs. If they're healthy, I like this team. If they have Zion and Favors both at their disposal, if they're both out for any reason, yes. It becomes way more complicated because what do you do in the middle of that defense if Zion and, and Derek miss any time? So I hope Derek Favors is not hurting that he can play on Saturday and he continues to come back and perform. I hope Zion Williamson makes it back soon and is able to play um, by the time the season opens. But other than that, I was really satisfied with what the Pelicans did. Uh, one of the other big things that came out yesterday was Bowl Bowl. And everybody's getting Bowl Bowl hyped. The first there was some practice video of him and Jokic running a fast break and people got really hyped about that. And he had 16 points, 10 boards, 6 blocks, and Denver's win over the Wizards in his NBA debut. He had not played on a court with NBA players since Summer League um, last year. So, first, you're playing the Wizards, and that should be, be taken. Anything done against these Wizards should be taken with a grain of salt about the size of your head. And... It was his first game against NBA competition, so of course, yeah, double-double and six blocks. That seems fantastic. But this he still has a long way to go. He attempted eight three-pointers, made two of those. One assist, five turnovers. 50% from the line. Didn't really get to the rim. And he's playing against Isaac Bonga for the most part. That ain't exactly Giannis or Kawhi. Okay, Bonga is a guy that the Lakers just threw away to get some salary cap space. If you could pick Isaac Bonga out of a lineup, unless you're a diehard NBA fan or somebody who is a reporter or something, then I'd be surprised if you know who Isaac Bonga is. His feet are still a concern. And, but the undeniable thing is, yes, Bol Bol has a ton of talent. And people get mad at me because they think I'm dismissive of Bol Bol and I am not dismissive of Bol Bol. Of Bol, Bol. And I, I hate having to keep saying that t- name over and over again. Not because I hate his name, but because it makes me stumble. But what I am is cautious about him. I am very cautious about him. And I think people have to slow down because we do not have a large enough sample size from any level. He didn't finish his college season he didn't play half the games of his only college season he missed most of the games that he didn't play in an NBA game during the regular season and he missed a number of games in the the G League because of injury so that to me is a concern feet back those injuries feet knees and back injuries in basketball are not something that get better easily especially when you're dealing with feet that are brittle. Ask Bill Walton. Ask Andrew Toney. Ask people like that. But that's the concern for me, not his talent. I am not dismissive of him in that way. As a second-round pick, he is a great value because it's a low risk. There was no guarantees involved with a second-round pick. There's not a huge investment you have to make in a second-round pick. So, yeah, that's, I mean, if he turns into something, you've got something great. And, and a lot of players have come out of the second round that we didn't know would be stars. And you could easily convince me. It's not that hard to convince me that his upside is higher than that of Jackson Hayes. Because, as I said before, I have a number of concerns about Jackson Hayes. But my problem has always been with the suggestion that he is A, better than Derek Favors is right now, and that for some reason the Pelicans should trade Derek Favors to get him. And that's where my problem is. That's my position, is that there's no way you would give up Favors for Bull Bull. Not at this stage. Not when the Pelicans are in need of an interior defender at an elite level, and that's what Derek Favors brings to them. Every coach... 
every player on that team throughout this whole season, throughout this restart, has said that the return of Derek Favors was the most important thing that could have happened to the team defensively. He changed everything for them. And I am not a Derek Favors stan, but what I am is a realist, and I watch the games, and I pay attention to what's going on, and I listen to the people who are closest to these teams, and no one will deny that Derek Favors made it the most impact on that team's interior defense. And then by being that, changed the ability for Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball and others on the perimeter to defend. It made it easier for them to defend, knowing that if they turned people and controlled them and sent them towards the middle, that there was somebody there who could deter them from the basket. But overall, the point is the Pels look solid. Nobody got hurt. We had some basketball. If you want to read my full game recap, you can go to thebirdrights.com. It's there. Um, And I think it's a good read. But that's me speaking about myself. So, humble brag. But uh, check it out there. And when we return, more hard in the paint with my guest, sports law analyst, Daniel Love. You are listening to Hard and Paint with David Grubb. All right, welcome back to Hard in the Paint. Joining me now is attorney and sports law analyst Daniel Lust. Um, he was a frequent guest on the radio show, and I'm glad to have him back. He's also the co-host of the Contra- Con Detrimental podcast with Daniel Wallach. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much for that that lovely introduction. And as uh, I think we'll get into that, con detrimental on uh, on Twitter, Instagram stands for conduct detrimental. Right. So right. uh, lots of football terms. So uh, I am yeah, subscribed to it, and I'm just you know sometimes in the morning I'm slow, so I am subscribed. You know I wrote, we, I rated, and I wrote a review too. Wow, I got to get you back for that. Then I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. I'll get you back, of course. So, yeah, so do that for, so, you know, not just him, but anybody else listening, go <laughs> rate, <laughs> write a review. It helps out. Do it for out. both shows. Do it it for helps, both yeah, shows. yeah, for both, for both. So look up Conduct Detrimental and look up Hard to Paint and go rate, review, do that. Um, so the legal and economic aspects of sports have been pushed kind of to the forefront more than we've seen in a very long time. People are talking about these issues on almost a daily basis because, of not only the coronavirus pandemic, but the labor negotiations and things that have resulted from that and trying to get these seasons started. Um, I'd like to start with the NFL and the NCAA because they seem to have the biggest hurdles that they're still trying to get over. Um, First, we'll start with something that was kind of big yesterday, and it kind of just leads into a larger topic. Woody Johnson, owner of the Jets and United States ambassador to the UK, um, there was a report by CNN that there's an investigation for some racist, sexist comments and, and, and um, activities, and also that he uh, possibly exerted undue influence for his office on behalf of the president. These are all, at this point, allegations. We don't have details on any of these things. The NFL is sending all inquiries back to the U.S. State Department at this point. But you do have players like Jamal Adams speaking up. Um, and I think that there is this sense from players, and there always has been, of unequal justice um, as compared to players versus owners, the rush to judgment for players, the lionization of players, and those types of things. What mechanisms are there really outside of what's in the league's code of conduct, which is very broad, to deal with owners? Because we just don't see a lot of punishment on the league level for owners. So it's, it's an interesting time to bring this up, Dave. And uh, I think uh, you did a really nice job with that background. The, the short answer, um, I think just objectively, I mean, I, don't, I think you could just read the writing on the wall. There is somewhat of a, of a double standard. And what, what would get a player in a lot of trouble might not even, we might not even hear about it on the owner's end. So um, I, I know that um, in my replies, people were, were really curious about Dan Snyder, how you know, how could someone like this run a team into the ground and keep his job? What mechanisms are there to get rid of him? And then just as, you know, um, not, not the best look for the NFL, but 
now back-to-back weeks where an owner of a you know big market team is is coming into into question. So, you know, the the short answer, um, Roger Goodell is empowered to do certain things, to find owners, to do a number of things under the under the NFL CBA NFL bylaws. Doesn't mean he'll do it. Um, you know, the the easier method is to put uh, something like this to a vote. And if uh, 24 owners, it's really uh, three fourths of, of NFL football, 24 teams, they agree to some type of punishment. Um, you could have an owner lose his team. Now, that being said, um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, again, you, you mentioned it. It's all innocent to proven guilty with with Woody Johnson. Uh, you know, and what Woody Johnson said. Um, you know, we we don't really know the specifics of it. We know the, the general tones that it was maybe racial or, or sex, you know, sexist comments. We don't know what those what those get to. But Dave, I will say, you know, in not so distant past, I think it was 2017. Um, Carolina Panthers owner Jerry Richardson had comments that came out and it was really a kind of a, a history, you know, it wasn't really one or two things. It was kind mm-hmm. of a culture of, of racist, sexist remarks. So Jerry Richardson did not have to legally uh, sell his team. That was not his requirement. He voluntarily uh, chose to do that to try to get out of the web of bad PR and really kind of save the sales price of the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. So the, the short answer is that there is a, legal mechanism to force someone to sell their team three-fourths of a vote and the, and the commissioner's on board with it in practice it just doesn't really happen because uh, owners would have to uh, then create a bad precedent which whereas they would more easily get punished so um, even donald sterling um you know he was banned from mm-hmm. the nba um, but he was not required to sell his team through the nba he was required to sell it through probate because of this weird divorce he was having with shelly sterling right and even and even someone, Dave, as disgusting as Marge Schott 30, 40 years ago was also not required to sell her team. She sold it voluntarily after Major League Baseball banned her from operations. So the, the you know, the, probably the most, if there is a venue to punish someone, is for the NFL to remove access from someone and then they're, you know, kind of um, sell their team voluntarily but under some type of disgrace. So that's the long-term picture of what could happen here. But again, we're still looking at, at innocent to proven guilty. We don't really know the substance of these allegations yet. Well, I think the problem, too, is when you do look at these other cases, you look at Dan Snyder and the report that came out about the culture around the Redskins. You look at the, uh, again, Mark Cuban and what he had in Dallas and the, the, the blistering reports that came out about the culture there. And he basically said, I wasn't aware of that. Um, and, and there was no real punishment there. We haven't seen an NFL owner suspended since Jim Ursay was arrested for DUI. But even in that case, it seemed like the punishment didn't fit the crime. He got six games and a $500,000 fine for having enough pills to legally be enough to distribute and a, a bunch of cash in his car. And he was driving under the influence. It's a pretty player bad. in that situation get, does not get a six game suspension. I don't really know what a six game suspension does for an owner either. I mean, are they not allowed to watch <laughs> the games on television? I mean, I don't really, I don't know what that does, but yeah, but, but point is well taken. That's not really a punishment. It's not commensurate. If a player did that, I mean, I mean, we, we could even talk about loaded allegations for this, uh, you know, uh, it's a big, big, big case here in New York, DeAndre Baker and Quinton Dunbar, mm-hmm. uh, two cornerbacks in the NFL. We get innocent until proven guilty, but these guys are involved in an alleged uh, armed robbery. I, I don't know if these guys are going to play in the NFL again. And, you know, um, that's, that's a very different. If anything like that ever happened on the owner level, I mean, you'd hope that they'd, they'd lose their, their job. But, you know, we, we don't know. It's, it's a little a cloud of... Uh, we'll say a cloud of secrecy when it comes to this type of stuff. Right. And then, you know, I think the most egregious example that people point to is with Robert Kraft, you know, who took multiple visits to this massage parlor, which we now know was involved in sex trafficking and was doing, you know, not only that, but uh, prostitution. He was arrested for that. And still the case is Florida is still trying to move forward with the case and Kraft is trying to stop it. But again, the, the level of the allegations, you know for a fact that he was there. We know for a fact that he's on video doing what they said he did. We know for a fact he's been there more than once. And yet still, there's been no punishment for Robert Kraft. This is almost, um, you know, the, the Robert Kraft one, least. It reminds me of the Ryan Braun situation in Major League Baseball not so long ago. He, he didn't say he wasn't guilty of taking PEDs. He just questioned the procedure as to how the test and the, and the chain of custody. So Robert Kraft, if, I've been following this case. It's now up on appeal. He's not, he's not questioned the validity of these tapes. It's not really him. He's basically owned the fact that that's him on tapes. He's owned everything that you just said. But 
Um, what his argument is, is very technical that the prosecution got these tapes in an unfair manner, that their surveillance that used a, an unfair subpoena. So, you know, um, just to, to play devil's advocate, I, I largely agree with you, David. I do think it's a double-edged, double-edged sword, but you could t- just look at someone like Ryan Braun, who has played out the rest of his career kind of, uh, we'll say, a little bit in disgrace. He's definitely not the same MVP candidate in, in, the, in the public's eyes, but the guy's still employed. That's not to say that all players like that. I think Ryan Braun's probably the exception. Um, but, you know, Rob, Robert Kraft, um, for better, for worse, David, and uh, rings true in every, every level of employment, the boss is going to be given a little bit more leeway to, uh, we'll say, act out of line. He makes the rules to some extent um, than, than the players, than the employees who are, uh, for professional purposes, generally, um, you know, at, at will. There's no cause required to fire someone. It's just the guaranteed financial hit. So um, there is definitely a double, double-edged sword. But, you know, you own the team. You, uh, you can, in, in, uh, in the real workforce and in sports, make the rules to some extent. So let's say if you are Jamal Adams and you have a real problem with working for that owner on the grounds that you feel like, hey, this guy doesn't represent what I stand for. This is not what I believe in. I feel this is a hostile work environment. My rights belong to the Jets, but my contract is with the NFL. Does he have a case, let's say, to say, I, I, you know, I, that's, it's a stretch, but, I mean, could there be, in, in a case like this, if you do have an owner in this situation, if you, there is something that their behavior permeates the organization, if you were part of the Redskins organization and you said, the name bothers me, the culture in this business, in this office bothers me, I can't justifiably enrich this person and take money for them. Morally, it's a problem for me. Is there a legal route for a player in that circumstance? I'm sure the, the level would be high to prove all these things. But is there some type of legal route for them? So I guess with, with Adams, the other, I'm, I'm smiling. Nobody can see us on video, but I'm smiling because Adams has been pretty vocal that he wants to get out of town. So I don't think yes. anyone's going to buy that. Oh, it's, oh, this is the thing. That <laughs> right. you want, like, not the other stuff. It's now this. So I don't think Adams is the best test case. Um, the name escapes me. There's a guy on, on the Jaguars. I think it's a, a D-tackle that's been trying to get out of town. Do you, do you know the guy's name? I'm, it's, I'm not going to remember it. <laughs> Yeah, it's slipping me now. Yeah. I, just, I don't think so, about the Jaguars enough. <laughs> you shouldn't. We, we should not. There's no reason to think about the Jaguars. But um, there's a D-tackle over there, a, a very high-level player who's been wanting to get out terribly. Oh, another good one, Trent Williams in the, yes. in the Washington Redskins. Mm-hmm. He's, he desperately was trying to get out of town last year, and there was no mechanism to get out. He was unhappy, didn't trust the, the Redskins medical staff, um, and he couldn't get out. So the short answer, uh, you know, the, there is um, – mechanisms to hold out but as we've seen in the melvin gordon situation um sometimes that will hurt your uh career if you if you want to do that and and uh may not make the best name for yourself in free agency and also just your playing shape so could you could you sit out that's really your your best mechanism um but i i think in this in this culture that we're in now dave uh we we just had a new cba that was agreed to i think that that cba left a lot of things that i you know, in hindsight should have been put in maybe some coronavirus protections, maybe, maybe even stuff like this, this civil injustice, maybe protections for um, comments that someone could make. But um, at this stage, I, I don't think there's anything like that that exists. Um, and players have and, and will continue to resort to holding out when they feel unhappy or unsafe um, with team protocol. Okay, so on the other side, you also have the NFL and the NFLPA still dealing with some of the negotiations to get the season going. Um, particularly those are centered around the financial implications of whether there's a halt or um, a no season at all to start with. They both want specific language regarding cancellation. Um, it seems to me that that centers more that's for the owners. It's about how much money are we going to owe for the players? It's about how much are we going to get? So how t- this is always a, temp- a tempestuous negotiation between the NFL and the NFLPA. They don't like each other. Do you think that this gets resolved with camps opening up in full on Tuesday? This is a mess. It's definitely a mess. So just kind of behind the scenes, um, part of part of the reason that this is a mess financially, the finances have to be worked out. So players, you know, I, I don't I don't know if they'll report if they're not really confident as to what their money will be worked on. So pre-pandemic, the way NFL contracts worked is the second the first game of the regular season was played all of the money became guaranteed for the entire season. So in years past, it didn't really matter, right? Just the season would go. In a year where there is a very legitimate chance the season could be canceled halfway through or shortened, um, it's not really clear. And the union doesn't want to give up this guarantee. They, they, 
you know, they're going to have to work around it because the owners aren't going to allow players to get guaranteed, you know, their full payouts for, for a 17 game season. If they only play three or four, it doesn't really make sense. So here's, here's kind of the tricky part, Dave. Um, and you mentioned these opt outs right now, what's on the table um, in the NBA and uh, the NHL. If you decide to opt out, the season's already basically over. So, you know, 80% of the season's done. So if you opt out, great. You just go to the next year of your contract. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. Now in the, in the NFL, because there's no season that's played, they're not giving you the ability to roll over to next year. They right. want to freeze your contract in place if you opt out and basically say, hey, if you were in a contract year this year, you're not a free agent next year if you opt out. You get to be in a contract year next year. So that, understandably, is going to be very tricky to manage in these salary cap situations that have been managed for four, five, six years. People are planning for every single free agency. And all of a sudden, guys are given the ability – to just roll a contract over, which throws off everyone's plans. Um, so I think there's a little bit of a hesitancy for teams to figure out exactly um, as to how they're going to deal with this financial hit. Um, so that's, I guess, part of it, number one. Um, but number two, players, uh, this is really their only time to have leverage here. So if they report um, and then, you know, they get, uh, yeah, I guess uh, it's we're almost kind of talking to Jamal Adams situation. If a player says, I don't really feel safe. I need all of this to be figured out. And then, we can get into it. There's a really complicated issue about contact tracing technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but if a player says, I don't feel safe reporting, I'm not going to come whatsoever zero until we figure this out. That, that means something. But if you go to camp uh, and then you say, well, I'm, I'm going to leave unless we figure this out. I, I don't really buy that. I don't, no. I don't buy that at a certain point. So this is the really key, key point right here. Players are due to report. The first preseason game is supposed to be 820. Um, I know there's been talk about canceling that. First game is on 910. But you can't – this is football. You can't just start on, on two weeks' notice. That's why baseball needed about a month to ramp up. So um, they don't report now. I, I do expect an extended holdout and, and maybe does threaten to push back the start of the season. And then in those opt-outs, it seems like a double penalty, penalty if you're a player who has to opt out for medical reasons, particularly because we know football players are at a higher risk. Body mass index is a risk indicator. Um, sleep apnea is a common thing about football players. Respiratory is, it, I mean, and then you have a large population, again, of African-American players who are disproportionately affected. And we still don't really have, and like Dr. Anthony Fauci said, football is not participating in a bubble. So you have interstate travel, you have all these things that are going to go on, and there's still no specific policies for any of these things yet for the NFL. Our training camp's going to require players to be in the same hotel during the, 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 the duration. None of that's on the table yet and settled. These are huge problems, and these should have been the first things that the NFL worked out. I'll give you uh, – so I, I kind of um, was hinting at it. This, the issue that I think is going to be very tricky, I don't, I don't really know how they do it in practice. I don't know how they do it in college either. The, the NBA is different. The NBA is 12 guys in a roster, 15 guys in a roster. Uh, baseball is a little bit, you know, a little bit more, but uh, it's baseball is a space. social distance yeah, sport. Yeah, I'm not. They're gonna they play it in every other country. Baseball right now, I, it's whatever. But I have my own thoughts on, on baseball. But for football, every play is a contact play. Every single player is 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 contacting someone. So we we've had this issue in Major League Baseball now. Um, there's a couple of players in the, the Kansas City Royals. People want to Google. It's an interesting scenario because of the nature of tests and the asymptomatic nature of just certain, certain individuals. These players in the Royals have played games you know took the test played a game and then the test came back positive so then it's an issue of who did they come into contact with so they can figure it out to some extent if you're a catcher you probably came into contact with the other catcher the bullpen catcher the bullpen coach um there's a limited amount of pool you could come out and come into contact with just you know who you might have been on, on the field now when it comes to football if that were to happen and you were an offensive lineman you would have touched everyone on the o-line everyone on the d-line probably the quarterback probably the running back. So it, it's, you're touching that much more people just on a practical level. So the NFL is trying to introduce, and I don't, I don't really know how it's going to work, but this contact, uh, contact tracing software. So right now, um, no one can see me on video. So what I'm doing is no relevance no, no, to anything. No. But, um, but He's uh, pointing I'm at his shoulder. shoulder. <laughs> I'm pointing at my shoulder. I could have just said that. So. Um, but they, uh, they have this technology that they put in shoulder pads that will tell you. We see it on the NFL and we watch the games, how hard someone's being hit, how fast they're moving. They want to basically put that technology in a watch. And you can see on the field, right, you use the shoulder pad who you came into contact with, number one. But they want to use this watch tech technology to see who you came into contact off the field. 
And that wouldn't just be players. That would be your maybe high-risk coaches who are above a certain age demographic. So you can imagine, Dave, if this happened, um, and I guess one more point, they want um, objectively, so almost like the CTE technology, the CTE mm-hmm. conversations, if you have a concussion, objectively, you can't come back to the field if you want. You have to be cleared by three, four different doctors. It's a whole process. Now, if you, if there is not the same level of quality control, you could, in theory, you know, just not tell people who you came into contact with off the field. And, and it right. could be, well, you know, oh, well, I, uh, you know, well, maybe I won't tell anybody that I touched Drew Brees and Drew Brees and I went out to coffee. Um, that it shouldn't be allowed. So the NFL wants to create a very strict protocol. If you came into contact with someone, it's an automatic period of quarantine. So that's going to require, there's no bubble. It's going to require a lot of investment into players' personal lives, where they're going at every point in time. It's not a bubble where there's only X amount. You can go to the barbershop or you can go to the the arena. There's not many places to go. So it's a loaded, loaded issue that's not going to be hammered out in one day. It's it's not. So I, I think it was a really big mistake on the NFL's part to put these dates in before this was worked out. Major League Baseball, I made fun of them for doing a lot of things. They didn't tell us what the schedule was. They didn't tell us where the start dates were until they figured everything out. So we can make fun of baseball for a lot of things. They didn't put the cart before the horse. And now football is going to look pretty bad if they have to now cancel games, which baseball never had to do. And now you take that down further to the college and high school levels. We've talked about waivers before. There have been challenges to the waivers. Ultimately, Congress has even um, weighed in on this. There's that level. You see that the that some conferences like the SWAC and the Ivy League have already canceled their fall seasons, but the big the big the Power Five are going to look most likely push forward. But the economic impact on across the sport is going to be devastating. We'll probably see programs not come back. And then on top of that, the pressures. I mean, Ed Orgeron here in Louisiana, he basically told the Vice President of the United States that without football, Louisiana's economy isn't going to be right. That's a burden you're putting on kids, 18 to 22 year old kids to be responsible for the economy of your state with waivers. And the fact that you are now basically saying that they're employees of the state, this it's very thorny. It seems like a very thorny area for them to be in. Yeah. It's, it's funny, Dave. Like um, I, so I I live uh, in New York. I drive around, uh, you know, um, I, I see kids playing sports on field. I see high school baseball practice. I see it. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I know, I know we've spoken about this on different podcasts. I mean, if your risk level is such that you want to play power to you, if you don't want to play, you should be given the ability to opt out. It's, it's that simple when it comes to me, let the, let the players choose. The problem for uh, that conversation at college is that the players don't really have a, a choice, right? Like they're not, they're not getting paid any money and their whole career is they, they really want to become pro football players at some level. So, you know, if you opt out and you lose a season in, in college, you know, you lose your spot and, and there's a lot more consequences to that. So then you kind of have to ask yourself, well, it's not the pros. We can't just say, here is the safety. Um, you can either opt into, you know, the NBA bubble, which is much safer than what the NFL is doing, just I think objectively, or you don't the college should have a little bit of a higher burden because players don't really have the same choice at the college level. So if you're going to say, and, and I'm a big fan of Ed Orgeron, so I, I think he's done a tremendous job, obviously for New Orleans and, and for the program. Um, but if you're going to put the burden on those players, um, I have not heard any, any concept of a college football bubble. I have right. not heard about it. Um, I think we, we, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, the NBA just had a round. We have not seen this at all in sports a round of testing in a, in a professional level with zero positive tests, I think was in the past two, three weeks. And that's um, per Sham Sharni of the athletic. Um, I would say per Woj, but Woj is in Twitter jail. So he's, right. he's not reporting anything right now. Um, but, but we, we uh, just had a report from the NFL, you know, they had 73 tests two weeks ago and then a new round of testing. They had 59 tests, but they expect hundreds more in the next couple of weeks. That's a very alarming trend. Um, and it's an alarming trend because of the sport of football, because you're touching that many guys. So, if you're going to put the onus on your on college athletes to support the economy, and I get it, like I understand why why people are making that argument, but there has to be a give and take. You then need to put money and invest money into an infrastructure that's going to allow players to be safe. And I I just haven't heard enough of that. I've heard, oh well, you could sign a waiver. Well, 
how about you, you make the, the place a little bit safer so that they do feel safe signing waiver? I haven't heard that. And, um, you know, just like in, in the pros, we're getting very close to these, these college dates when the season's supposed to start. And um, the word bubble hasn't been mentioned yet. So I personally, just in my standpoint, I find that a little alarming. Can you explain to folks a little bit about um, what unequal bargaining is when it comes to college students and high school students in signing these waivers? Yeah, and I, and I think probably the, the other part I should explain. These college venues, programs, anyone that hosts any type of event or has employees, you have an obligation to your uh, students, your athletes, your employees to provide a reasonably safe venue to play games. I think the bubble goes above and beyond that. I think they didn't need to do that much, but they did it anyway. I think the NFL, what they're, what they're doing and what the NCAA is doing, it could be viewed as reasonably safe. But, um, you know, the question of these waivers is – whether or not you have equal bargaining power. So again, to, now to your question, Dave, um, equal bargaining power is if a player has the feels that they have the ability to say no, right? If they, if you're a student at Ohio State um, versus the university, who has more power? I think 100 people out of 100 are going to say Ohio State. Now, if you ask me who has more power, Jamal Adams or the New York Jets, I'm, I'm not sure. Jamal Adams has a lot of power. I mean, LeBron James, maybe he has more power than the Los Angeles Lakers. So when it comes to pros who make a ton of money and who wield a lot of power from social media and other, and other you know, the other influences, um, that's a little bit more of an equal question. College athletes don't really have a say. If they, you know, if, if they, if they don't want to play a game, college can just shun them. I mean, I'm just listening to this great podcast, Dave. I highly recommend. I have no plug, but the Cam Newton podcast uh, on the ringer, uh, how he was going through Florida. I mean, Florida had all the power. He basically kicked him out of school yeah. and um, Cam had to say goodbye. So that should tell you all, all you need to know. College athletes, even someone as, as high of a talent as Cam Newton, one of the top high school players in the country, really had no home for a period of time because Florida, you know, Florida kind of kicked him out of school. So um, I, I think it's just uh, – and when it comes to these waivers, um, you know, Cory Booker has been very vocal on the Senate level. He doesn't want these waivers to be uh, a, a decision that the college athletes have to make. He wants to say that all waivers handed to college athletes are null and void on their face. So he has proposed federal legislation to say that because he thinks that this is so unfair. So how equal bargaining power would be questioned normally if this ever got to a court? You would, somebody would get hurt, someone would get coronavirus, and God forbid they got really sick, and they would try to sue, and the university would say, hey, you signed this waiver right here. Here's your John Hancock. This is, you're not allowed to sue me. Uh, and then they'd have a conversation as to whether or not this was enforceable. So Cory Booker, I think, is leading a really smart initiative saying, you know, Cory Booker, former college athlete, is saying, this is not a fair question. This is not a fair calculus. You get hurt, you get sick, and then you sue us two, three years later? No, this should be null and void on its face. So um, I think objectively, I think most people who agree college athletes do not have the same power as the NCAA. Um, and I think it's a smart call by Booker to try to get this hammered out ahead of time so athletes aren't, aren't playing from behind. And then the resources, like we, we, that has been one of the big things, the amount of money it costs to do these things. The NFL is doing weekly testing for the first two weeks of camp. And then if the test numbers are good, they'll go drop down to three times a week. If not, they'll stay at, at weekly. Colleges don't have that money, especially state institutions do not have that money. Then you take that down to the high school level where school districts have teachers buying supplies, have one janitor, have maybe don't even have a school nurse every day of the week, and you met your athletic trainer is a coach. How can you possibly, in that situation, create any kind of reasonably safe environment? How do you make sure a locker room is up to standards on a day-to-day -day basis at a high school? So, you know, Dave, you, you can speak to this. I, I go across the sports landscape. I really try to have my nose in at least every sport to be dangerous and see what sports are doing differently. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll, I'll take you down the spectrum just to show you how dangerous what college and high school are trying to do. Baseball, daily tests, and I just brought up that Royal situation. Yes. Even with daily tests, they have a situation where a player with COVID played and they had to quarantine a, a number of the roster. Could the Kansas City Royals drop out of the MLB restart? That's not off the table, and it's happened in – uh, women's professional soccer, it happened in the major, in major league soccer in Nashville, and the Dallas teams dropped out because of an outbreak in one team. Okay, so that being said, baseball has a daily test. The NFL, um, I, I'm not sure why it's part of the negotiation, but the NFL is using it as a bargaining chip whether we're going to give you daily tests or test you every other day. And the players are sitting there, test us every day. Are you insane? You have <laughs> right. billions of dollars. What? Why are we billions. negotiating about this? Bill, billions. Like, what? Don't. That's not. That's a given. And but whatever. They'll probably 
get there. The NFL is just being, uh, you know, they're being stubborn, but it's a negotiation. I understand it. Now, the NCAA doesn't have that money to do daily tests. It's not even a, you know, a joke that we can make. Why aren't no. you saying this? They're not going to be testing every day. Uh, high school, even less. Uh, and, you know, Pop Warner, less and less than that. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm driving by my local baseball fields and I see games being played. That doesn't necessarily mean it's safe. It just means that there's less um, red tape to get through. So, I, I mean, could I see college football coming back and just being in a much or relatively unsafe environment when it comes to the NFL and Major League Baseball? Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out that it's not – I'm not, you know, I'm not speculating. Right. Full Major League Soccer teams, you know, FC Dallas and the National Football Club, had outbreaks in their team with much better testing protocol than it's planned on the, on the high school and college level. So if anyone thinks that, that this is just speculation and it's all kind of media scare, I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. Maybe, maybe these guys aren't really, um, and they're making full recoveries, but the nature of the sport, the economics of the sport, the entire teams dropped out. There's no revenue coming to major league soccer. So as much as, and, and I, and I, I believe that Orgeron that if the LSU doesn't play, it's going to kill the economy. But if the entire team gets COVID and there's an outbreak, we've invested a lot of money and a lot of time and they're going to drop out anyway. So, there needs to be more safety protocols being done. I mean, you don't have to do what the NBA is doing, but you got to get a little bit closer. So we don't really need to talk as much about waivers. We need to talk about what you're doing to make sure that there is not an outbreak uh, amongst the teams. We need to be allocating the resources properly. Just, just in my, my legal opinion, um, you know, and obviously my opinion as a sports fan that wants to see the sports get to the finish line and not just start, which doesn't really have a value to me. Uh, what would you put right now on the major leagues? We'll say the NFL, NBA, um, uh, Major League Baseball and NCAA football at this point um, rank them from their from best to least chance in your mind just as a guess but best to least chance of completing a season truthfully I, I think it, we've got to this point there's been so much money invested I've watched this NBA bubble you know they, they really put so much money into this I think they're going to make it to the finish line I do I think we're going to have um, a Keanu Reeves replacement situation, worst case scenario. You know, you might have teams drop out uh, and that forfeit, which is what, what's happening in, in some levels. You know, there's just going to be outbreaks. I think people need to just be mindful that there's so much money invested in television contracts, uh, even the NBA bubble. They're going to get to the finish line. I, I fully buy that, that they're going to get to the finish line. What the product will look like is one thing. You know, the Denver Nuggets, not so long ago, maybe two, three weeks ago, you know, a high-level basketball team, had an outbreak in the team. They quarantined everyone. They figured it out. But for those, you know, Dave, we're talking about bets and probabilities. Um, I would not, if, if I were a, a member of the betting public, I would not be putting bets on any single team uh, because they could literally just drop out and lose that entire, you know, it's like betting on the MVP. One right. guy gets injured, you lose, you lose that bet. So I do think that sports will make the finish line. I'm not sure how smart that is from a safety standpoint. But, um, you know, you just, uh, as they say, you got to follow the money and the money is being poured, poured into these restarts. Um, and, uh, you know, replacement guys are, are on call. Michael Beasley, uh, you know, th those level of players, Jamal Crawford, those, those guys are getting the call. So, you know, the NBA is trying to have a very deep roster knowing that this could happen. I guess the last thing would be when you look at football and the financial part for them, the long-term issue that they're looking at is the salary cap. And because you have this 10-year collective bargaining agreement, the smoothing out of that cap loss. And we're talking, what they're talking as many as a $40 million decrease to next year's salary cap. And with those contracts that you already talked about with the rollover, there has, they have to figure out some way to smooth this out. It just, it can't be that much of a precipitous drop in one season. Yeah, it's, it's tough. So I, I'm, I've seen the same reports you are. It's either, you know, if it's 40 million, is it going to be 5 million a year drop over eight years? Or is it going to be 40 million in one year? So let's say, Dave, you were a star uh, running back and you, uh, you're in a contract year this year and you're about to hit free agency. It would be really unfair if this year of all years you got hit with that. And I think that's what the union has to keep in mind. It's, it's really unfair to the, the players that happen to have their contract or maybe a team option that expires for this year. So I think it would be much more fair. And even guys like right that sign five-year deals, they don't have to worry about this if they – have the cap hit for three years. So I think it does make sense to roll it over over the course of years. The, the problem um, is this weird kind of escrow that, that the NFL still wants. They want to take money away from the players. So as long as we want to roll that out, you know, if, let's say it's 10 years. So if you and I continue, roll it out 20 years, who cares? But if you roll it out 20 years, that escrow is being applied over those 20 years. So the shorter you apply 
uh, we'll say the, the rollover, how many, if it's eight years, you want to decrease the cap 10 years. Um, that's going to affect players wallets that the player, the owners are asking for a 30% uh, escrow uh, as of now to take away 30% of their salary and put it away in some crazy fund to, to help the NFL. So players obviously don't want that. They don't want it to be affected, affecting them for years. So this is the kind of nuanced negotiating that's happening right now, unprecedented. Um, and there's really no right answers because they're kind of making it up as they go. So um, kind of to tie it into our earlier conversation, Dave, anyone that thinks that the NFL is going to get a deal done in the next five minutes, uh, it's, it's very unlikely. And you just kind of have to follow the money. The NFL is a sport that requires, and, and I, you know, I know I've mentioned to you, mm-hmm. I worked for the New York football giants for five years. I worked in their public relations department. Um, they have camps uh, for months leading up. They don't, guys don't play two weeks off the street. That's just not how, how football works. So, um, you know, there's going to be a slew of safety issues that come. The NFL is going to require guys to come back on a week's notice on top of everything else. So watch this very, very closely. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'm an optimist by nature, um, but right. I, I'm just reading the writing on the wall here. This this uh, looks like there's there's a lot more to be figured out in football. Yeah, it just, you know, I think we all want to be optimistic. We all want to see people be healthy and we want sports back in our lives. But I think you and I and most the average person would say that Ultimately, if it's if it's going to cost lives, I don't know if it's worth it. I mean, it, to me, it's not. But I hope it goes forward with and everybody stays safe and we can actually have these things. But yeah, it's it's I don't see it being an easy process, particularly for your contact sports in getting back on the field. Um, I'm excited to see what happens with with Major League Baseball. I'm a little weirded out just because I think it makes everything so uneven with the uh, with the divisions because I think you know the if the American League East versus the National League East, those are two cr- incredibly hard divisions. I mean, just I'm just as a fan, I'm I'm a Yankee fan, and I'm like, you got to play the Nationals, got to play the Braves, got to play. I mean, it, that's a tough division to have to do for your interleague, and then you got the AL West getting the NL West, and there's only two good divi- teams in each division. So I'm gonna vent to you about something because. You said only because you said you were a Yankees fan, and we're on the podcast, we're on the radio. So right. this is we can have a much better conversation here. Right. Dave. We can we can go off the rails. Yeah. This, uh, this is in my my niche of sports betting, sports law, and New York Yankees. Um, hypothetically, I might have placed a bet on the New York Yankees before the season started, and I did so thinking 162 game season. The Red Sox are probably going about to get rid of Mookie. The Astros are going to get beamed a hundred times. So that leaves <laughs> one team, right? One team and one team only for the AL. So hypothetically is hypothetical um i invested a lot of money in the yankees thinking that that would be the the overall situation i correctly pegged the mookie trade um i've watched the astros spring training games i've correctly pegged the beanball attack um but my bet against the yankees or for the yankees hypothetically it has not been canceled so you know i i just don't think it's it's patently i would say it's patently unfair my the yankees now have to play the al east the analysts, they have this loaded schedule up against the, their own division. This is not the bargain I signed up for. But when you look at the fine print of these, um, hypothetically signed up for, these sports books, um, you know, you, you can't get out of that bet. So I, I, I know I'm not alone. I, I wrote an article recently for Forbes covering this, this topic. It's, it's not a fair concept for bettors that we've now, um, we're kind of trapped in a, in a world that betting on something that we didn't really sign up for. And that's just the, the nature of the beast. So if I'm sitting here feeling aggrieved, I can only imagine what, what the, the players are feeling. They, they <laughs> all right. I, I'm sitting here on the sidelines. Players have signed up to get paid X amount of million dollars to play the season. Now they're going to take less money for more of the risk. Um, so I, I think it's a, you know, Dave, for, for you and I, what, what, what we do on our day to days, it's a really fascinating, really highly intellectually charged, um, you know, conversation that we're at the part of. Um, and I want to credit you, my friend. I, uh, I've always, always enjoy our times on the podcast or on the radio, but, on the podcast, the, the wheels are off. We can we can go in any right. different direction. So uh, 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 I'm happy to come on uh, anytime and, uh, and go go off the rails with you. I, I just want to see the Blue Jays find a home. I don't understand why they didn't work this deal out with Buffalo from the beginning. They knew that Canada wasn't going to work. It, I mean, the two week the two week quarantine made it impossible to do travel into Canada. I grew up I grew up as a Bills fan, so I don't know if you're following my tweets. I I am so on board with the Buffalo Blue Jays. And to me, at this point, if it hasn't been said to – I know there was an initial report, mm-hmm. Buffalo was confirmed, and then it was Pittsburgh confirmed. The fact that they haven't said Buffalo and there's a report, uh, you know, that they're looking at New Hampshire or they're looking at any number of places that's not Buffalo, I'm like, 
Okay, then I guess they don't want to go to Buffalo. I think well, it's a why? huge, huge missed opportunity. Their AAA team is in Buffalo. They're, but like, location-wise, they're next to Buffalo. The, the Buffalo, Buffalo Blue Jays was trending across the country. People want Buffalo. So I don't understand why you would go to Pittsburgh that already has a team. Their fans won't give a you-know-what if you go there. Buffalo is ready to adopt you. Um, and Buffalo is a massive, massive fan base. So And a great stadium. One of the best AAA stadiums. Yes, it has to go up to major league standards. But to me, that's something you can deal with temporarily. You can bring in prefab buildings, transport however many leather chairs, and, and, and you do a quick construction on locker rooms. They're on the road to start the season anyway. So you have some time to put in some temporary facilities to make it more comfortable. It's I mean, no matter what, you're isolated through this for the most part you're going to be staying in your hotel most of the time you're going to only be going to limited number of restaurants so i just don't get why this takes so long it's the perfect match to me if you want to reestablish an american base a fan base that buys that wants to watch you on tv that wants to buy merchandise pick a market that's right across the freaking niagara falls from you same color pattern too let's not leave this out here same colors pittsburgh pittsburgh Pittsburgh. No, I'm, I'm with you, Dave. I'm the, I'm the head cheerleader for uh, this uh, Buffalo Blue Jays movement. So uh, I, uh, I've had some fun with it on, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, uh, throwing uh, some, um, some Thanos memes. I, I do think it is inevitable, uh, as, uh, as the great Thanos, not the great Thanos, the evil Thanos once said. The um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just don't, that, but, uh, you know, speaking of, speaking of New Orleans, do you know that uh, Zion Williamson is a giant Thanos fan? Did you hear this? Oh, no, just a few times. You see this chain? You know, he has the Zion... Um, Thanos chain um, with the, uh, the the Infinity Stones on the glove. I'm and not I'm, from the market. I saw that. I'm like, I'm like, I'm nervous about Zion now. This guy's got the killer instinct. Like, literally, has the killer instinct in him. Oh, he's look. I mean, like the the reports have been, you know, because when he was injured, those 44 games, that he was still in the locker room, like on a when they were going through the losing streak and everything, he was one of the loudest voices in the locker room still because he hates losing. They said he like it just bothers him to no end. And the other guy, Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram, people think that he's quiet. and does. Jerry Stackhouse is his mentor. If, if you're not – if Jerry Stackhouse is your mentor and you're not tough, I don't see how that's possible. Because Jerry Stackhouse, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the toughest guys who ever played in the NBA. One of the most underrated hoopers from the 90s. He does not get his credit. No, not at all. People forget how many years he was a 20-point scorer in the league. And he almost had a 30 – I think I was looking recently. He had a 29 season, something mm-hmm. like that. When he was with the Pistons, yeah, yeah he went off. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just – Jerry was a great player. But, yeah, this is, this is a team – I think the Pelicans, honestly, have a puncher's chance. You know, I think if, if either them or the Blazers get in that eighth spot, I think they have an actual chance because the Lakers don't really have guards right now. I think you could, could test the Lakers. I think Portland probably a little bit more suited because Lillard is just a nightmare for the Lakers to defend, and he's done. He's had huge games against them all season. But I think the Pelicans or the Lakers would have a puncher. I mean, or the the Blazers have a puncher's chance against the Lakers. If the if the Blazers don't make the playoffs, though, Dame Lillard's going to riot. So you know, there, there's that too. We have to be mindful of. But I'm I'm with you. I'm root, I'm rooting for New Orleans. I, I love seeing Zion. Man, great talking to you again. Um, we'll have to do it again soon because I'm sure. There will be more to talk about very soon um, along these issues. But I, I definitely appreciate you. Please remind folks one more time how they can follow you, how they can follow the pod, and um, w- when you got another episode coming up. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Sports Law Lust. Uh, I cover really every sport, anything. There's something legal or sports business related. Um, I, I try to hit that and give people just a broad spectrum. You know, the only way you understand sports is to understand how they fit in, uh, in the spectrum, just as we spoke about today. So Sports Law Lust, Instagram, Twitter, our, our, our podcast, Conduct Detrimental is me uh, and uh, Dan Wallach, the athletics legal analyst. So we, uh, we pour into all these issues. We record uh, every Sunday shows out Mondays or Tuesdays, and, and we have a lot of fun with it. So um, if Twitter's your thing, Instagram's your thing, uh, we're, we're on both. So uh, at Sports Law Lust, at Con Detrimental. And uh, my DMs are always open. So if people have questions, you're, you're free, to, free to slide right in. And I retweet anytime I see something that he's put out because he's putting out good stuff. So I appreciate you, man, and I look forward to the next time. All good, Dave. Thanks a lot. All right. That's been another episode of Hard to Paint. Back tomorrow with another. Thanks for listening.